Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. It's amazing how close um, people become together once they have um, received the Spirit of God in their hearts. Uh, when we were younger, uh, Linda's not here. Yeah, she's right here. She'll attest to this. My sister. Um, me and my brother really weren't the best of friends. I was more of an inconvenience to him, someone that got in the way. I was the tag along, someone that got between him and his friends. And, and uh, even though, and I, I say this uh, kindly, even though he did try to kill me several times. <laughs> the Lord figured there was something for me to do le- yet in life and protected me. And I tell you the truth, uh, my mother walked into our bedroom one day and we had been watching a John Wayne movie or something like that on a black and white TV or whatever and Rick had decided that he was going to hang the Indian And so I had a rope around my neck and I was on the top bunk. And when she walked in, he was just about ready to throw me off and Linda will remember that. And, and uh, little things like that, that he never seems to remember. <laughs> but the one thing that I do remember so crystal clear is uh, an event in my life that changed the direction in which I was going and that direction um, not only affected me but it affected my family and and through the 34 years of ministry now affected probably a lot of people. And that was the day that a Friday night, taking all of what I've said into consideration, uh, we were in the small living room of our home and um, I don't know how, I think he was married to Liz already, and yep, and he, I don't know why he was even there, but it was Friday night, and I was going out, and I was going to do what I always did on Friday night, just like maybe some of you, um, and he said, Steve, I, I need to tell you something, and I didn't know he was going to this little Pentecostal church uh, across the block, this, with Brother Tamil. And he came up to me and he said, Steve, I want to tell you something. And I said, well, could you make it quick? I, I need to leave. And it was quick and it was to the point. And it was just three words. He said, I love you. Now, taking that into consideration, with the way that we had lived up to that period of time in our life, that was, uh, that was quite a contrast for him to say and uh, my jaw dropped and I was shocked and I didn't know what to say and um, I, didn't, I couldn't say I love you back. I just sort of stumbled and said something like, that's nice or whatever. And he asked me if I would do him a favor and come to, him, come to church with him the following Sunday. Well, that was cheating. He, he made me defenseless you know, I'm speechless, and then he asks me to do something, go to church, are you crazy? Um, but I said, yes, I would go to church with him on Sunday because it was a very uncomfortable situation and that was the easiest way out. That following Sunday, I, it was the first time I ever walked into a Pentecostal church in my life. And uh, I can, it's kind of funny, I went to Parkway last week for the concert in um, the old building is still there. It's changed somewhat, but the old original structure that was there in 1972 is still standing there. And when I used the restroom, I said, this is the same. It looks exactly the same that it did 34 years ago. That's the one thing at Parkway that they never changed. Everything is the same. And it brought back memories, but I can remember... Uh, where Rick and Liz were sitting, they were about seven rows back on the left side, and it would have been about three quarters of the way back towards the, the rear door. 
And I sat down not knowing what to expect, and that service was probably about 35 people. And um, I remember watching the way people acted. And Brother Blank is here this morning, my best buddy. He stood up at my wedding. I think you were my best man at my wedding. And um, you'll probably remember some of these stories. But I was taken back, and I actually wrote a song about it, and someday I'll share it with you about my experience there. But they were shouting and clapping and raising their hands, and I didn't see anybody rolling in the floor yet, but I'm sure there were times when they were. And I looked in shock at what was taking place, and I, I felt really uncomfortable. I really did. And my first thought was, I need to get out of here because this is outside of the scope of my religious knowledge. I had no problem going to Frenchies in South Milwaukee and doing the Watusi, isn't that something? Remember that? How people shook themselves, they looked like they were having spaz attacks. And, and, but when you come to church and you see somebody raise their hands, you, you get all panicky and your hands get wet. And, but then I said something inside my heart that was the key to the rest of my life, I opened up the door to God just a little bit. I said, what if this is true? And what if people could be happy in a relationship with God as these people seem to be? Well, Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will uh, open the door and come in with, and sup with him. Well, when I, I opened the door a crack, God rushed in to my heart, and I began to sob and cry, and I didn't understand. I, all I know is that it wasn't a bad cry. It wasn't, I wasn't afraid. All I knew was that what I was feeling a warmth, uh, uh, something clean and powerful and something I'd never ever really felt so intensely in my life before and I didn't know how to handle it. I was sobbing. And um, the ushers, my brother mentioned the ushers had to usher me out. That's not true. <laughs> I ran out. I didn't need any help from anybody else. I didn't know what to do. And I ran into the back, one of the back rooms at Parkway and um, I remember there was a guy hiding back there from service. He was some kid hiding out from his parents and when I walked in Paul and he didn't know what to do with me. But that was my first experience with God. Um, it, Little, most of you know the rest of the story. Several weeks later, uh, a terrible thing happened in my life um, that I had known was going to happen. A very terrible thing. And I had questioned whether I wanted to continue on. Uh, it was during, not only was Vietnam going on, I was all, I'd enlisted in the service. I was back home from um, from. Uh, AIT and boot camp and with all the other pressures and this going on I, I had to make a decision whether, whether I wanted to continue it was that bad but I remembered that night I remembered the night I had a church when I was making my decision and I decided to go back to the empty building it was after dark. I went back to the empty building by myself and I challenged God to show me if he truly was real. And not only if he was truly real, I challenged God to tell me that he really even cared about me because I had messed up really big time. Really, really big time. And so the rest of the story is I, I knocked on the parsonage door. It was after dark. Uh, Sister Tamil opened the door and 
I looked a wreck, as you can imagine. I was beside myself. I asked if I could go into the church, and she told me the church was open. And I walked into that building in the dark without any lights, and I walked to the front. I was familiar with the altar. It used to be a Methodist church, so we had one time went to that church, so I was familiar with the layout. And I got down on my knees, and I said, God, I've got to know if you're real. And God, I have to know that even if you are real, do you love me? Is there any hope? And when I prayed that simple prayer, the same exact thing that happened on that Sunday night that I was at Parkway happened all over again. The Spirit of God rushed, rushed into that place. It was like the day of Pentecost. It was just, it overwhelmed me. And I began to sob and I felt the cleansing and I felt the hope. And then in the dark, I felt an arm come around my shoulder and I, I realized what a Christian was. Brother Frank Tamil had come into the building in the dark, walked up to the front of the altar where I was praying, and put his arm around me in the dark, pitch black, and he began to weep with me and pray with me. That was the night that changed my entire life and direction uh, that I walked in for the rest of, till, till this point today. So saying all that, it leads me to my topic this morning. It's stealing, I'm going to be reading from Psalm 55. I want to talk a little bit about David. David, David started out awesomely, didn't he? When he comes into scripture and he finds Goliath and he gets the five smooth stones and he runs out to meet the giant and everybody remembers how the giant fell and we all rejoice and we say the five stones represent Jesus and he's on fire for God and, and David does do some great exploits but David messes up just like we do. Isn't it funny that God has chosen men in scripture for leadership and examples that have made mistakes? Wouldn't you think if you were going to pick someone to present before a conference or before an audience or as a representative, I, they'd have to have a completely clean record without anything, without any blemishes, but God didn't. God chose the foolish things of this world. He took people that were simple. He took people that were train wrecks, people that had messed up their life, that continued to make mistakes. And it shows them in Scripture being changed by the almighty hand of God into something that was powerful and anointed, but still had flaws. Do you know why he did that? Because he knew you'd be here. Because he knew that each one of us would have times in our life where we'd be frightened or we'd made bad decisions, we'd make wrong turns and face in the wrong direction. And he wanted us to know that greatness is not measured by the quality of your character. It's measured by your faith and courage to continue on even when you fall. In Psalm 55, uh, David writes this psalm, and I'm going to read this psalm, and then I'm going to read another portion of scripture, if you'll stand with me. I want to call my message this morning to flee away to my secret place. Verse 1 says, and I'm, I'm reading maybe a different version than you are. You can compare it on the screen to what I'm reading, but... This is the NIV, I believe. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I'm distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked. For they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death 
have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Notice this, I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee away and stay in the desert. Have you ever felt that way? I'm out of here. Oh, if I could just get away from my problem. I would hurry to my place of shelter. Notice that. I'm going to come back to this. It's his place of shelter. Far from the tempest and the storm, Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about it on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. Now notice this. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I've enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. Now, Lord, I pray in the next few minutes that somehow you bring out in clarity what you want to deliver this morning to our hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. You may be seated. I want to point out that the psalm is writing about a conflict that David is having, not with the Philistines. It's not a conflict with the Ammonites, the Jebusites, the Moabites. The conflict that he's having that's wanting him to flee and to run away and find a place to hide is within his own family. He said, uh, it's, I, I, I seem to need a place to go away because if you go back to 2 Samuel 15, in verse 13, then a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. David said to all his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for otherwise none of us will escape from Absalom. Go haste, or he will overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Then the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king chooses. What's so very interesting is that David the warrior, David the fearless, David the fighter, leaves all that's valuable to him and he runs away. Now this isn't, shouldn't be strange because if we know our scripture, we'll understand that Nathan has prophesied to David that this was going to happen. Yes, Nathan did. When Nathan confronted David about Bathsheba, he told him that his wives would be defiled upon the rooftop of the palace because of his sin. This was going to be part of his judgment. And here, David is actually reaping some of the, 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 the consequences of his act of disobedience, but I look at Absalom and I I see how all of this could have been avoided. Do you remember Absalom's stepbrother Ammon? Ammon had some problems. Absalom was a very carnal individual and he fell in love with his sister, stepsister, Tamar. He convinced David to allow him to go and visit his sister and went into her chamber and and eventually just raped her. Ammon, Tamar was Ammon's sister. Blood sister. They were full blood sisters and brothers. David didn't do anything. David couldn't deal with the issue. Ammon became bitter 
Ammon, Ammon became consumed by, by the, the, the inaction of David and it blossomed to where actually he killed some of the sons of David himself. And now he was intent upon actually destroying David, but David couldn't deal with the situation. David flees from Jerusalem. What a terrible time. How did things get so out of control? Why were things so confusing? All these things led up to a crisis that became overwhelming. I say that because many of us have issues, maybe with situations in our family. Maybe it's not aunts and uncles, maybe it's sons and daughters, maybe it's husbands, maybe whatever it is. And maybe it's, it's something that you sometimes feel, I wish I could just run away to a secret place. And some people run into secret places like a tavern. Some people run into places where they, they pump drugs into their veins, where they can get away from the pain, where they can get away from the struggle and the anxiety. But I want to tell you this morning, there is a place by God. There is a place prepared for you that he has given you to strengthen you and for support. I look at Elijah, another great man of character. What a wonderful example of someone that was so extroverted and outspoken and not afraid to put his faith on the line, not only his faith, but his life on the line. Could you imagine yourself being in his place on Mount Carmel? Can you imagine 500 dressed prophets of Baal challenging you, mocking you, speaking against you, challenging your God against their God. And all the people being caught up in the, in the emotion of it, and you're all by yourself. And you stand up and the fire of the Holy Ghost is on your, on your lips and flowing from your spirit, and you tell them to do whatever they want to do and take as much time as they need because when they're all done, your God will answer quickly. He didn't have a Bible, Brother Dave, to, to open up, nothing to resource, no Strong's Concordance. He didn't have Google. I, I've been having so much fun with my phone lately. I was, I was teaching a class. I'm, here I am, my ADD's wandering off a little bit. I better share this. I was teaching a class over at uh, the Regency and uh, we were talking about Moses and we were trying to remember Moses' mother's name. And so I got my phone out and I had a signal and I went to Google and I pressed the speaker button. You can talk to your phone. And you say, what was Moses' mother's name? Beep. And he brings me the name on the screen. Moses' mother's name was so-and-so. And not only did it bring up Moses' mother's name, but it brought up a picture of her. <laughs> I says, not only, do I, not only do I know what her name is, hey, take a look at her. <laughs> but they didn't have any of that stuff. They totally relied upon upon what they had been taught from generation to generation, what their parents had taught them and their parents had taught them. They walked solely by faith. And Elijah stood there and when it came his turn, he just said a small prayer and the fire descended upon the sacrifice and burnt the sacrifice and lapped up the water. And what a joyous moment it was for the children of God to see and then the rain came after three years of drought and the parched earth received it. You would think that Elijah 
would have, that would have been a high point for him in his life, spiritually, that he would be just riding at the top of his game, but one little miserable wretch called Jezebel makes one idle threat that she's going to take his life by nightfall, and he flees for his life. Just like David, panicked. I'm fleeing. I'm leaving everything good that's just happened. I'm leaving Jerusalem. I'm leaving Carmel. And I'm going to find a place, my place. Well, his place was under a juniper tree. And there he was under under the juniper tree and just like you and me might be. And I have to give him credit because you never want to talk to a preacher after he's done preaching. Because if he's ever gonna say something stupid, it's probably after he's talked for an hour and he's physically drained. I, I say some of the silliest things at lunch and I say, you know, the anointing's off, I'm tired, and now the real me's talking and don't listen to what I say, you know. It's, but here, the anointing is off Elijah and he's under the juniper tree and he's saying, Lord, just take my life. It's not fit for me to live. How could you go from here to here in just such a short time? Have you ever been there? You have a great service. You feel on the top of your game. And then one bad thing happens. I was leaving Home Depot yesterday. It was time to, I've been feeling so much better, by the way. Um, I, I'm, I'm taking 20 pills a day, but I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> but I, I actually shampooed the carpets yesterday. So I said my heart didn't stop, and that's a good sign. But anyways, as I'm leaving Home Depot, I'm having a great day, and I, I pull out, and this, I can see a car way down the road, and he's driving a BMW. It's a really nice car, and... Uh, obviously, he wanted to drive 50, and I, the speed limit was 35, and he was so far away that I didn't think it would matter. Well, I must have irritated him. Here I'm driving my old forerunner, and it's rusty, and I, I got my old beanie cap on, and I look like an old geezer, and he's probably looking at me and already categorizing me. And so when we get out on 83, he pulls in front of me, and he slams on the brake at the light, and... Then when the light turns green, he just sits there and, and snares, snarls at me and through the mirror. And, and I, I sort of ruined my morning. I don't know why. You know, one lousy, did you ever have that happen to you? And you know you're a Christian and you're saying to yourself, now Steve, you have to act the Christian, do the right thing. So I just lay on the horn. <laughs> but I did get them. Um, I've learned, I'll get back to my message. This is sort of like Billy Cole. He always inserted something funny and something serious. Um, but I did get them irritated when I drove by because I know it really bothers people when you look at them and you just shake your head. And I, I drove by him when he turned left and I just shook my head at him. And then he laid on his horn and I just smiled. But you know, the devil is like that. He's gonna try to get you off your high point. He's gonna, he's gonna try to attack you and bring you down and try to get you to start coming to God and say, God, just take my life. And God's saying, what do you mean? I, I just, why would you say that? Look what I've just done for you. I've just, we've had a great victory. Why would you even think what you're thinking? But you know God in his mercy, he sent an angel. Do you, uh, Brother Ron, I hope, I don't know if you have felt this. You've been through a lot of medical stuff like me. I have felt my angel. I have felt the presence of God and I have never felt alone. When Lisa goes to work at night and 
the house is empty and the, the dog is gone now. I never feel alone in the house anymore. It's like I'm not alone. God is here with me and, and the angels of God are here to protect me. And in this case, the angel of the Lord appeared to Elijah and, and fed him and said, eat, take this. The trip is long. You need your strength. And, and then Elijah went back to the cave and you know the rest of the story and made that, that long, long trip for nothing. He went back to where Moses received the law. He thought if he went back, there would be something special about Mount Sinai. Certainly he'd hear from God on the, in the area of the Sinai range and, and God would give him this great revelation and, and God appeared in fire and he appeared in an earthquake and he appeared in an earth uh, in um, a strong wind, but God wasn't in any of those things the Bible says. And then a still small voice says, what are you doing here? God ever ask you that? What are you doing here? Why, why did you come to this place? Who told you to come here? You know, Elijah, with all of his past history, when he had first announced the, the famine, the three-year famine, God had sent him to the brook Cherith. Have you ever done any research on that? The ravens fed him. Meat and bread. You ever wonder where it came from? Some of the commentaries say that it quite, it's quite possible that Ahab had his slaughterhouses and the ravens stole the meat from the slaughterhouses and brought it to Elijah to eat. And Elijah had plenty to drink by the brook Cherith until it dried up and he had plenty to, all everything that he needed. It's said that he was there a year one year of the, of the, of the drought, uh, Elijah didn't do anything. Just sat, ate meat, bread, drank water. He was sort of protected from the struggles that everybody else was having. He's isolated. You know, sometimes you and the church are isolated from really what's going on in the world around you. Do you know that? You come in and you eat the bread of life and you drink of the water of, of God freely through his spirit and you really, you really don't feel the famine that's going on around you and the pressures that are in the world. And then God says, all right, the, the, the water's drying up. Think about what I'm saying, all right? All of a sudden you come to church and you don't feel like you're getting what you wanted. It's different. You're, the anointing, you're not feeling what you felt last week. And you're getting nervous because the water's drying up. And God's saying it's time for you to move on because now I'm going to take you out into the world and you're going to see exactly what's happening. But you're going to minister to people now where for the last year you haven't. I've given you a period of respite, but now you're going to be, it's going to be changing I'm sending you to Lebanon to a woman that lives in Zarephath and you're going to find out how bad it really is in the world. But don't worry, just as I took care of you by the brook Cherith, I'll take care of you in the struggle in the world. And God says, get out of your comfortable seat in the church. Get, out of, get off the rocking horse that you're on. Make a move. The time is now. The, the, the fields are white for the harvest and you're going to go out and you're going to find out that there is all types of immorality and sin and debauchery, things that you cannot even imagine. And you're going to find people struggling, going through terrible situations and he sends them, sends Elijah to a woman that's only got a tablespoon of oil left and a little meal in the barrel and she's desperate, it's the last meal, it's hopeless. He sends her to a person that's desperate. And the bread of life walks with Elijah. And he says, if you'll do as I command, give me first. If you allow me to stay with you, God will not only provide for me, 
but he'll provide for you? Do you see the relationship between you and the world? Well, what do I have to offer? You know, I, I really don't have anything. I live day by day. Some of you are, like myself, it's been a tough year. I was thinking the last year as I look over the medical stuff from last September till, till this last September, my medical bills are $250,000. And I look at the number of diagnoses, it looks like, it looked, when they brought out the, the hard copy at the doctor the other day, it looked like a manual for a, a computer system. It's two inches thick, and the guy says, it'll take me forever to read through all of it. You ever have a year like that? And you say, well, what do I have to offer? And God says, it isn't what you have to offer. It's what I have to offer through you. Right. And so you, you, walk in, you walk into the home of the widow of Seraphith and and you're feeling a little bit inadequate and she's looking at like you at like you're a nut and here's the guy that calls down fire and eventually he's going to raise the dead from, from, from their bed and he says, by faith, God's going to take care of us. Let me eat first. And God does exactly what he said he would do. But if Elijah would not have went, if Elijah would have stayed by Cherith, the brook Cherith, because that's what he was familiar with and he didn't want change, he would have died because there was nothing left for him at Cherith. God was moving him to a place where he could meet the needs of others. Not only did he save his own life, but he saved the life, the life of that widow. And eventually when that widow's son dies and Elijah goes into the room and lays upon him seven times and prays and the child comes back to life he saves another life but sometimes we're so tempted to run away to our secret place to run away and hide out in, in something that we're doing I had mentioned this before. Moses never even heard the voice of God until he was 80 years old. I just, every time I think about that, I, I marvel. One of the greatest men in scripture uh, wrote five books of the Old Testament, wrote the Pentateuch, wrote the account of Genesis. Never even heard from God until he was 80 years old. I've got 19 years to go before I even reach that place. And then when he flees to the desert to hide because he's got family problems at home and he hides in the desert for 40 years, God seeks him out through a burning bush and gives him direction, spiritual enlightenment, and power. Three things. Without those three things, you aren't going to be successful. Direction, spiritual enlightenment, and power. There's going to be times in your life when the fire is not going to fall. There's going to be times in your life where the ravens are going to disappear and, and there's no, going to be no bread nor meat for you to eat and the brook is going to dry up. There's going to be times in your life when your family seems in disarray and it feels like you want to run away and find a place to hide. It's in these places that we were, we learned to trust on the sovereignty and the power of God through faith. It's in these times in our lives that we learn to trust in his ability and we seek out his voice to hear him.
whether it's an Absalom in your family that's intent upon your destruction, or whether it's a Jezebel at your job that's trying to destroy you, whatever it is, whether it's an illness that's trying to, to cut off your head, God has made a way for you through those circumstances, but you have to be willing to follow him where he leads. Last week, and I really feel like I also wanted to share this before I closed, there's three ways that God, God is going to help you through your trials. The first way is God can deliver you in your trial. And I use the illustration of the three Hebrew children. They, they stood up for what they believed, even though they didn't have the support of, of their comrades. It'd be like us having church today and, and someone saying, everybody, we're going to set up an image here and everybody's going to bow down and worship it or you're, you're going to be punished severely and we're all here and there's a lot of unsaved here too and out of all this congregation, only three people remain standing and don't bow. You're not going to tell me for one minute that there weren't other Hebrews there. These three stood up even when others around them, even their peers would not. They were determined that it was better to obey and have the favor of God than to disobey and have the favor of Nebuchadnezzar. And this world is taking us to a place right now where it's going to ask the church to bow before it. Our governing system, the laws that are going to be passed, you watch, the church is either going to have to secede its rights or stand for what it believes. And not everyone that says that there is a, there are, they are a Christian is going to retain standing. It's only those that are willing to face the fire of judgment or the wrath of, of leadership, of corrupt leadership. But see, those three Hebrew children, when they were thrown into the fire, they were delivered in the fire. Now, that's the first way. God can deliver you in your circumstance. Let me ask you a question. Did the fire burn them? Were they, were they cut or bruised? Were their, their clothes scorched? There was not one thing that was affected in this deliverance. They were delivered in the fire. The second way that God may, may bring you He may deliver you from your situation. I like this one. I pick two. Forget the fire. That was pretty close. That's scary. Those big, strong soldiers tossing me head first into a furnace. And I'd be like, that's scary. The example of this one would be when the armies of Moab and Ammon came against Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat was surrounded and he didn't know what to do, the prophet came up to Jehoshaphat and he said, tell the people not to worry because God is going to fight for you and he's going to deliver you from your adversary. And so all Jehoshaphat had to do is get the people together, get the priests together, and worship God. And as they worship God, God caused confusion in the enemy, uh, in the enemy's camp, and they destroyed each other. And so the enemy was dissolved without any real struggle or investment on the part of Jehoshaphat. Now, 
God's done this, he's done all three of these things for you already. He's already delivered you in, in, your, in your situation. And no doubt, you've already been in a trial that he's delivered you from. You probably stood up and testified, oh, this was going to happen and God delivered me from it. But the third one is the hard one. And that's the one it seems that most of us have to go through. And that's where God delivers us through our trial. That means long nights of maybe suffering. Maybe it it means struggle. I actually introduced you to a family in Sunday school last week. I call them the, they're the others. I feel like I'm strongly, I, I, I know some of you weren't there for that morning, so I don't feel like bad about repeating this. I feel more related to the other's family than any other family. Let me, let me introduce you to them in Hebrews 11. <clears throat> <clears throat> and what more shall I say? For the time would fail to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson. And Jephthah, Hebrews 11.32, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness and obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead race to life again, That's the group that was delivered from. But it's this last group in verse, in the last part, but it says others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And here's that family again, still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. Let me ask you a theological question. Did God love one group more than he loved the other? Did he love the people that he delivered from these things more than the people that he allowed to go through these things? God is no respecter of persons. It says they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Now notice verse 39. It wraps it up. And this is so beautiful. And all these, the others' family, and the rest that were delivered from, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. It said both groups received a good testimony. The ones that were delivered from, the ones that were delivered in, and the ones that were delivered through, all walked by faith. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Do you know know that Paul's greatest work, the greatest things that he accomplished came while he was in prison? Most Most of the most powerful letters that he wrote to the churches that we read in our Bible were written just before his execution. Do you realize that Stephen, who was a table waiter, He shined the brightest just before he was stoned. He was the meteor that flew into the book of Acts in Acts 7. Everybody knows Stephen. He takes up a great big portion of the seventh chapter of the book of Acts. His testimony stands as the stones fly, and not to mention the countless others that we read about. And so, in closing this morning, are you 
desperately waiting to hear the voice of God? Are you crying out in a desert place? Your voice could come as that still small voice as you retreat into that secret place wanting to give you direction. You may be looking in the wrong place for the right thing. It could be that God could speak to you as you sleep at night, as he did Samuel when he was 12 years old, calling out his name. Just remember, you're not any different than Samuel. You know, sometimes we feel spiritually deficient. We feel like we could, that was for them. That was, those things were those, were those for those people back then. No, they weren't any different than me and you are. Matter of fact, if they were in church this morning and wearing the same clothing, you wouldn't be able to tell them apart from each other. You could walk up to them and talk to them and never know that they were any different. God speaks to us in the same way. There are some Eli's that have grown cold in their soul, but God has raised up some Moseses and Samuel to take their place. And let me tell you this, if you're struggling for provision, God has a place for you. If your brook is dried up and the ravens haven't come for a while, don't get despaired because God has got someplace else where he's going to supply your need. If our musicians would come, I'm going to close with Psalm 91. It's just one of my favorite psalms and I thought it would be a beautiful place to stop. Whosoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He's my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most higher dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him. For he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And that's your letter from home this morning. Would you stand with me? God has said that he would never leave me nor forsake me. 
God has said to me that he would be a friend that sticketh closer than any brother. The prophet reminded me that that I should, when I fall, that I would arise and the Lord would be my light. So I'm not talking to perfect people this morning because each one of you have brought with you a little piece of baggage. I don't know how you think that you could walk out into this world and not come back stained with some of the blackness of of what's there. But we come into this place to be cleansed and washed. The washing of the word, the Bible says. What I have done this morning is I have allowed God's word to wash away some of the stuff that you've brought here. But now you have to make a decision whether you will carry what you brought here back out with you. I have to share this last thing. This concert that we had at Parkway was far greater than I ever imagined it would ever be. I, with all the three months of planning and all the pressures and all putting up with Todd for three months, him nearly having a nervous breakdown and all this other stuff, when it finally happened and these three pastors came up there and they started to minister and the presence of God came in, it just seemed like the whole evening just went so fast and it was just the most awesome experience. But they shared a story. One of the pastors shared this true story with us. He shared the story about a friend of his in Ohio. He pastors in Ohio. And in his church, he has a heart surgeon. And he asked the surgeon, the pastor asked the surgeon if he would allow him to witness a heart surgery. And the surgeon sort of, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. And he finally gave in and he said, yeah, you can come and watch the heart surgery. And so the pastor was in the room, masked, watching the surgery, and he watched the surgeon take the heart out and repair the heart and did what he needed to do, and he put the heart back in the chest, and he said to start the heart, they, they just touched the heart. They must use a probe or something to stimulate the heart to get it to beat. And while he watched, he touched the heart, but the heart wouldn't start. And he touched it again. And he touched it again. And he was starting to feel bad. You know, the person's on the table and it's the heart's not beating. And, and then he said the surgeon did something strange. He stopped what he was doing. He went to the head of the patient on the table and he pulled his mask down and he spoke into the ear of the patient and he said, Maggie, I fixed your heart. I've repaired your heart. The surgery is a success. It's all right for you to let your heart beat again. And he put his mask on and he went over and he touched the heart and the heart began to beat again. And the pastor related to those in the audience. He says, some of you have been hurt so bad and your heart has been so damaged and you feel like you just can't go on. And then you come to church and and the Lord reaches inside your chest and he, he fixes the problem. And he, but you don't know whether you wanna, you, you can do it. And he speaks to you and says, it's all right, Sandy. It's all right, Jim. I've worked on your heart. I fixed your heart. It's all right for you to go on and live again. 
So some of you this morning, God has already done a work in your heart, but you have to let it beat again. You have to make the effort to go out in love again and to invest in people again and to live again. You have to trust people again. Right now, he's touching your heart. You can let it be. Or you're just gonna look for that place to hide, to run away, that secret place that only you know about. Let it beat again. Let it beat again. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.